John chapter 6. I'm going to read only verses 10 and 11, but it's relating to a whole story. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. It's only numbering the men. It's not numbering the women and the children. So it is very potential, uh, potentially true that there could have been fifteen to 20,000 people there. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, say that with me, when he had given thanks, all right, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise, of the fish, as much as they wanted. Father, thank you for your word, and we're grateful to you, my God, for your word. Thank you for the bread of life. So this moment, we just want to share, uh, Lord God, your word with your people. But I pray, uh, dear Holy Spirit, you who are the teacher, the greatest teacher, I pray that you open up the eyes of our understanding, that we might understand uh, the, the concepts and, and your will in your word. Make your word come alive to us, Lord. We'll give you the glory for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. That's relating to a story where Jesus was preaching all day. If you think I preach long, I in no way come close to Jesus. The Bible says he taught all day long. And when it was getting late, his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, uh, not for nothing, but the people are hungry and the people want to go home. What are we going to do? So Jesus is listening to them. And they say to him, you know, Lord, not for nothing, but I don't think that they wanted to say that to him. You know, you're a little long-winded. I don't think they wanted to insult Jesus that way. So he says, you know, the day has, is gone and people, you know, need to eat. They recommended to him that maybe we release them so that they can go to the hotels or the motels and get some rest. And so what did Jesus tell them? Well, Jesus said, well, what do you have? Because, you know, I want you to feed them. So they were there. They saw the amount of people that were there, 5,000 men. And, you know, in those days, families had much more than just one man. They had man, wife. They had many children. Many of them had five, six, seven, eight children. So it is entirely possible that, we're, that there were, I would say, definitely over 10,000 because, you know, husband and wife, but somewhere between fifteen and 20,000. All right. So... When they look at the scenario, they say, but uh, Jesus, uh, it would take a whole year's worth of salary just to get all these people fed. It's, in other words, they could not understand where he was coming from. They could not understand um, that he was asking that of them. And this is the same thing that happens to many of us. When God puts in our heart to do something, sometimes we can't understand why God would ask us. Who, me? I can't do that. But yet God is asking you. What are you going to do when God asks you something and you know you can't do it? Well, you're going to give excuses, just like they did. So we can't do it. You know, we would need a year's salary. We don't have a year's salary. And for them at the moment, they were self-justified because they didn't have the year's salary. Nothing in their thinking allowed them to come close to saying, yeah, I can do what God is calling me to do. Nothing in their thinking allowed them to even dare to believe God for something as great as that. And that happens to us too. It's not usually, God is not usually telling you to feed 20,000, but sometimes he is telling you to go minister to somebody. Sometimes he is telling you to start sharing your gift with others. To come to the front and do a dance or a song or preach a message or get involved in something. I can't do that. 
Anybody here? I didn't, and that's ever happened to anybody? I see like one hand. All right, I'll add my hands too, because it's happened to me. The truth of the matter is it happens to all of us. God will always take you beyond your comfort level. Some people think that God wants to bless you, and the word bless means he wants to take you to comfort. He wants to take you to the comfort level. No, on the contrary, he wants to take you out of your comfort level. Let me ask you a question, Sister Berenice. How hard was it to do what you did on Friday? Actually, you were even here on Wednesday, right? And what were you doing? Preparing the the back area. Was that comfortable? Wasn't that cool? You were able to relax and come here, take your personal time, and go to the store and buy plates and, and, and then match them? That was... What happened? And you enjoyed doing it. See, because you have a revelation. But you ask most people to do something like that. Say, I can't do that. I'm busy. They don't even think twice about it. It just comes out. Because they're so used to being comfortable that they don't realize that your blessing is on the other side of your comfort. That's all right. You don't have to say amen. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Anytime God calls you to do something, he's always going to take you out of your comfort zone. He's going to activate you, and it's going to cause you to work. You're going to have to sweat. You're going to have to do something difficult. You're going to have to stretch. Say, say to your neighbor, it's time to stretch. And God is calling us to stretch. And, and God certainly called his disciples to stretch. He says, well, what do you have? He says, well, we... Then he looked around and says, and they saw a kid. He said, what's that? This was my, my sandwich. It's my lunch, basically. It's two fishes and five loaves. He says, give that to us. You know, poor kid. He, he didn't, you know, he didn't go, you know, and, and give it, volunteer to Jesus. I'm, I give this to you so that I can stay hungry. No, he didn't do that. Those disciples took the sandwich and they took the fish and they took the loaves and they brought it to Jesus. But I think, it's, it's just my opinion. I think that they brought it to Jesus just as an example of how crazy his, re, re, uh, his not response, but his request was. Right? Jesus, all right, fine. This is all we have. And, you know, I'm sure among them they were giving each other high fives. They said, this, this is it. This will seal the deal. He's going to release them now. He's going to send them to the motels and the hotels and, and to the Baskin Robbins and to the McDonald's. <laughs> so what happened was is that Jesus says, good, give it to me. And this is where God can sometimes get frustrating because you prove to God how what you have is not enough to do what he's calling you to do. You absolutely bring the best case before the judge. You're, you're convinced you're going to win the case. And Jesus says, oh, that's what you have? Excellent. Good enough. Give it to me. And he takes it in his hands. First thing he does is he looks up and he thanks the Father for the divine provision. And here's our problem. We think our seed is not enough. We think that the gift that God gave us is not enough. And I'm here to tell you that, in, in, that contained in your seed is everything you need to do all that God called you in your life. A seed is not as small as what it looks. Because in its DNA, it has a command to multiply over and over and over and over and over. Perpetually. You just have to know how to handle your seed. You have to know what place to sow your seed into. You get a corn stalk, you could boil it, put a little butter on it, a little salt, and eat all of the seed. Or you could take half of it, or half of those seeds, and plant them, and you will always have corn. 
and continue the planting process and literally have a field, an entire field filled with corn and yet still have enough to eat. The thing is you need to know how to correctly invest yourself so you don't burn out. You have to correctly learn how to invest yourself to maximize who you are in this earth realm. Because, see, understand, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. You were created, not for yourself, you were created for God. For His pleasure. I know most people don't don't even want to go, that's my life. I'm my own man. No. Can you live 500 years? You can't tell yourself how long you're going to live. Because you did not create yourself. God created you. See, you didn't even get to say when you were going to be born. You didn't get to say from the spirit realm, Hey, Mom, I want you to get pregnant and such and such date and have me in such and such date. Anybody here was able to do that? No, we belong to God. So the best we can do is use this life to glorify Him and to be a great benefit to humanity. Just this morning, I was passing by several areas in the Bronx. So you're coming by. I saw a building, and this building, you could tell it's older, and it's used for ministry. And I'm saying, you know, probably the people... The group, the board, the church, the local church that bought this building, they're probably not even here anymore. They're in God's presence. But yet they left something tangible for a future community. Many books we go to the library and read are are, are written by authors who are not alive anymore, any longer. But yet they left something for a future generation. Their life, they invested, you know, their life not just for their today, but also for somebody else's tomorrow. That was a good Twitter right there. Uh, that, don't ask me to repeat that because I just came out. But think about it. God asked these men to do something that in the natural they could not do. But when, when Jesus took their seed, and actually it was a little boy seed, right? he took the seed, looked up, and he th- gave thanks. You know why? When you realize that God has placed a deposit upon you, and when you're grateful for that deposit, instead of complaining for what you don't have, you can look into the deposit that God gave you and see a more beneficial future. And this is the problem. We're not thankful about ourselves. We don't like ourselves very much. Most people don't like themselves. They want to be someone else. But yet there's a deposit in you that is so great that if you would only understand who God created you to be, you would stop complaining and you would become grateful for God, who, for who God made you to be, you get excited for who God made you to be, and then you'll start releasing that which God has deposited in you. Hallelujah. You're very important. You were not born by mistake. When God made you, he thought about you. He, 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 he envisioned you. He deposited greatness in you. And then when he, when, when he saw you birthed on earth, he says, now my purposes will be revealed in my son, in my daughter. I gave that, that individual all they need in life, but it's your responsibility to find that out. It's your responsibility to go to Jesus and give him your gifts so he could bless it and multiply it. So what did he do? He took the bread, blessed it, and then he turned to the disciples, gave them a piece, and he handed it to them, right? The fish, same thing, handed it to them. They were responsible to now go to the 50s and the 50s and the 50s and the 50s because they were sat down in groups of 50s. And, and start giving it. Every time they would give from what they had, a little more showed up. 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 And they just kept on handing out the very thing that wasn't enough in the first place. See, so we need a mind shift. 
And, and we need it today because the world is so in need of the church being alive and active. Yeah, I mean, Nate was joking. Well, I don't see the energy here. He's just joking. I know that's the way he is. And, and, I, and I love that about him. I said, don't change. Be that way. But the truth of the matter is, is the energy in the church is lacking today in many areas, in many local congregations. Because people don't believe anymore that God can work in and through them. But I, I want to break that pattern. I, I want to talk to you today. I want, I, want, I want to put a command in your spirit, man. There's so much you have inside of you. And God is saying, give it to me. Give it to me because the world needs it. I birthed you on this earth for this reason. So that you can be a blessing in this area, this area, for this reason. That's why I've given you the gifts that you have. That's why I've given you the abilities that you have. But I need to breathe on it. I need to bless it. I need for you to shift from being a person that's complaining or, or being a person that thinks that you're not enough, or that, that God doesn't love you, that you're not as good as the other ones. No, you're more than enough. What does the Bible say? We are more than? God came, came to give us life and life in? See, so we have abundance on the inside of us, but we don't see it because the enemy has been successful in squashing or, or, or squelching or... or, or qua- well, there's a lot of words, but the bottom line is it all means to limit or hinder us. And today I say that ends. Amen. 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 You are needed. You're vital. This is not a time to play little. God doesn't play little. Why do you think that people in churches think that it's the right thing to play little? Why? Because it's a lie of the enemy and you've bit into it. That's why. God doesn't want you to play little. He wants you to play big. What was the ministry he gave us? Matthew 28. What? 18, 18 to 20. Go into all of your community and preach the gospel and make disciples, right? Right? What did I say? Go into all the community. Go into your job. What's his vision? Go to your family. God's vision is huge. He wants the whole world. He's not interested in just communities. He wants the world. When God ministers, he ministers big. When Jesus sat down and he spoke, he was touching nations through people. He said, come here. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Who did he say that to? He said that to the disciples, right? Who did the disciples minister to after Jesus left? Within 21 years... All of Asia Minor had been evangelized. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ within 21 years. Twelve guys. And one guy, guess what, didn't make it. So God replaced the guy with Paul. See? So my point is, is the same thing with you. We're busy trying to play humble, but true humility is not uh, doing nothing. It's not, oh yeah, I'm just a worm. No, you're a king and a priest. You, you're, you're a prince and a princess in the, king, in the kingdom of God. True humility is accepting who you are in Christ. And what God is saying today is, give me what you have because I want to multiply it. The problem is, is that we don't put God first. We put our problems first, our issues first. We put our limits first. We put our desires first. And in Matthew 6, 31 through 33, it says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
After all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all those things. See, God is saying, I know you have needs. But we put our needs before God. God is saying, I know you have those needs. Don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. His formula is this. But seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. And then all these things shall be added unto you. The very things that we idolize. The very things that we chase after. The very things that we want more than anything else, God is saying, oh yeah, I'll I'll throw that in. No problem. I know you need them and I'll take care of them. Just seek me first. Give it to me first. Give me what belongs to me. That deposit, that seed you have, give that to me. I need to multiply it. I need to bless it and give it back to you so you can feed the nations. So you can bless the nations. So you could be a blessing. So you could be a generous, abundant blessing. Say this with me. Say generous Generous. and abundant. abundant. That's who our God is. Say this with me, generous and abundant. That's who we are. God doesn't want you playing little. God wants you to play big. Hallelujah. Praise God. Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created for God's pleasure. And you know when we bring God pleasure? When we become all that God calls us to be. Yeah, but I make mistakes. I'm limited. Yeah, I know you're human. So am I. We all make mistakes. The truth of the matter is that the mistake is not a problem. The problem is just when we're afraid of making mistakes. Because we'll never try anything. We'll stay contained within ourselves. Well, at least I'm safe. Safe, but yet mean nothing to nobody. I'd rather make a lot of mistakes, a lot of misses, but also a lot of hits. Glory to God. Don't be afraid of trying things. I I understand sometimes at work today, uh, when you make a mistake, um, and especially today's society for whatever reason, and again, I think, this is my opinion, that the enemy is trying to get us to the place where we're afraid to do anything so that that we could be paralyzed and, and be useless. Today's society, the news is coming. Anybody that makes a mistake, they'll highlight it. They'll put a, a spotlight on it and make it seem like it's some horrible. Now, some things, yeah, they're, they're, they're not good. And, and yeah, let it be exposed and let there be correction. But that's what it's really for. When you make a mistake, you highlight the area that you didn't do right, and then you grow. You want to beat somebody down? Beat them down when they make a mistake. You want to help a person grow? When they make a mistake, sit down, identify why it didn't go wrong. And don't call the person a failure. No, tell the person, okay, this mistake, all right, you handled this thing maybe in a way you could handle it differently, uh, uh, you know, on a later date, and you'll get success. Your heart's in the right place, so just tweak this. You see? When you handle people that way, they'll be able to feel free in making mistakes. Remember years ago, King David, uh, actually not King David, uh, another king, this was a very evil king, uh, I think it was King Ahab, I think it was some, some king, just a terrible king. Uh, he was looking outside, Jezebel's husband. Who was that king? Ahab. Was it Ahab? All right. So Je- he, he's looking outside of his window. He's got everything. There's a little plot of uh, grass uh, and a little field right next to his temple, or not temple, but his building, his kingly building, right? So he looks at it. It's a patch of vegetables. And Naboth owned that. And that's all that Naboth had. 
And so Naboth was next to the palace, and he's saying, you know, I feel good here. You know, this is a safe community, a safe neighborhood, right? Don't you want to live in better neighborhoods? So he's like in the best neighborhood. It's like, like next to the palace. But the king is looking. He says, man, that's a nice-looking plot of land. I want it. So he goes or sends his emissaries to, to Naboth, and he says, listen, uh, the king wants to buy this patch of land, whatever you want. You know, we'll give. He says, oh, I can't sell this. It's a gift from my father. And his father had it, my grandfather, great-grandfather. It's, it's a gift. This is all I have. All right, so you go back to the king. And the king says, he can't sell it. It's, it belongs to the family, and, and he wants to keep it. Oh, this is ridiculous. I need to get my way. I'm the king. He goes into his bedroom, and he, he's pouting. Oh, bendito. Quiero dar una pecosa. What I just said was, ay, bendito. I want to smack him upside his head. Right? So what happens? So while he's pouting, the queen comes in and says, what's the matter, my king? Oh, you know, Naboth doesn't want to sell me the land. No problem, I'll take care of it. She goes out, gets three people to lie against the poor guy, right? And they, they put it, set him up in the tribunal, and they, you know, accuse him, incriminate him, and pretty much make him guilty. And then they kill the man. So my point with this is that you ought to feel safe next to the king. You, you ought to feel safe next to the king's domain, right? In the same way, when we serve people out there, when we serve in churches, they should be safe next to us, right? People should be, feel safe. So if they make a mistake, you should build them up. Not like that nasty King, which, by the way, he had a horrible ending, him and his wife. God judged them harshly for that. See? But in, now, in our day, there are people around us. How do we make them feel? Uh, do they feel protected in our care? Do they feel safe around us? Can they make a mistake around us without us beating them up? I just saw this morning in Facebook. Sometimes I look. I go about maybe four rows deep, you know, just... About four times. Then I said, because after a while, you, you get, uh, you know, you lose it. So I'm looking, and there's this guy complaining about his wife. I don't know him, but he's my friend. I don't know what that means. I got over 700 of them. I just don't know what that means in, in, in Facebook terms. I guess, they, you know, they like seeing my material, so they friend me, and I say, okay. But this guy's complaining. I wanted to text him right back. But I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to do a public uh, rebuke. But I, 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 I don't have a number for him. I want to call him. I'm saying, sir, I think you're making a big mistake. Don't ever put your wife's private stuff out there. That's, that's, that's just plain nasty. That, that's just, you, you're an ogre. I, I don't have message because on the phone, for you to have instant message, you have to give everything, your whole private. So I don't like that. I don't have it. And sometimes people message me. I message them like three weeks later because if I get to a desktop, then it allows me through a back door to get message or the messages that come through Messenger. I don't like that. I hate just giving all my stuff out there, and I don't know what's going to happen with all my stuff. So, but the point is, one of these days, I'm going to see that boy. I hope it's not before he gets divorced. Yeah, we, we have to really, really uh, provide a, a safe place. Even if there's correction, do it privately and, and do it with love. You know, I, I, I learned that the way you correct your children is you go like this. And then you go like that. 
Got it? Right? And then like that. You can't always be, you know, come on, you're going to wilt somebody, you're going to run away. But this is what I'm saying. In Scripture, when we, we see that God wants to make us a blessing, God wants to multiply us, but we were created for his pleasure. So are we pleasing God? Are we being a blessing to people? Are people safe around our atmosphere? What type of atmosphere are you cultivating for your friends, your, 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 your family? Are we giving God first place in our lives? Are we giving God first place? Yesterday I told the guys, God always demands first place. He always wants prime real estate in our heart. Because he gives us first place. When, when he, when he sent Jesus, that's first, that's the best, that's choice. And he wants covenant. God doesn't have girlfriends in the kingdom. He only marries. So he wanted the tree in the garden. He told Adam and Eve, don't touch that tree, it's mine, it belongs to me. Punto y coma, it belongs to me, right? You know, exclamation point, belongs to me. What about Abraham's son? Abraham had a, you know, wonderful son that God promised him he would have. And in his old age, he has this beautiful boy. He says, this is my promise. God gave me that promise. And God said that through this boy, I'm going to have nations arise, right? And then God tells him as the boy's growing up, I said, okay, uh, Abraham, give the boy to me. Sacrifice him to me. Huh? So I saw a movie one time about that. You see Abraham upset. Why are you doing this to me? Oh, God, I'll do it, but this is that. You know, I'm not happy about that. You know, he was really complaining. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that Abraham knew God so much, and he knew that God was a faithful God, that even if he would sacrifice the boy, he would come back again. That's right. That was his faith. His faith was like, he was God's friend, the Bible calls him. His faith was off the hook. And just when he was going to take the night to sacrifice the boy, the angel comes and says, no, don't do it. Holds his hand back. He says, there's your sacrifice over there. There was a ram in the thicket. He says, just check in your heart. Wow. And sometimes God will test you. He says, are you first in my life? You know, I, you know I, I, like I said, I'm married almost 40 years. But let me tell you, to this day, my wife, every once in a while, checks me out. Am I first in your life? You understand that? And yeah, I say, of course. Um, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's not all ladies, but I find that many times a lady asks her husband or the boyfriend, do you love me? And yeah, us guys, we respond that way. Of course I love you. I'm still here, aren't I? But that's not what they're looking for. They're just looking for that affirmation and, you know, and it's just, you know, just, just touching, just, just, you know. And then the following week, do you love me? Went, uh, did anything change from last week? <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, you know, just, of course I do. But I realize, it's, no, that's just part of, of, of that covenant thing. Do you love me? Absolutely. This much. Can I stretch any more this much? You know? Of course. Yeah. But, you know, really, God wants first place. Another, another example, um, in Jer- Jericho, right? When God's people come in, they cross the river. Uh, and suddenly he says, Here's, take that city. They go, take this, says, now give the city to me. I don't want you to take anything from that city. I want it as an offering to me. And then all the other cities belong to Israel. God has a, he has a way of always reminding us he is first. So my question to you, who's first in your life? Okay? That's something you have to address. This is something that you have to look deep into. And if you don't look at that constantly, every day, every day when I get up, 
And when I worship him, when I praise him, I always rem- I remind myself. I declare it. Father, you're first in my life. See, I, I, I speak it out of my life. Speak it out of my mouth, from my heart, my mind. You're first. And I always say that because I always tell my body, excuse me, you're not going to be first. He's first. Problems, issues, you're not first. He's first. And I do so with attitude. I do so, I declare it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is, he is first. If not, deception comes in. Deception comes in. And deception sometimes could look, at, look like, well, you know, I got to work. I got to provide for my family. I got to do overtime. And then one week you didn't come to church. Then comes two weeks. Then comes a month. Then comes three months. Then comes six months. And after a while, you're not fellowshipping anymore. After a while, you love God, but you love God something like third or fourth place. Because everything else comes in first place, then second place, then third place, then fourth place, then fifth place. Then God. It's not the way it should be. God should be first. So all my life, all my plans revolve around me serving God. All my plans revolve about how I can please my God. When I get up in the morning, Father, how can I please you today? While I'm at work, how can I please God? While I'm with my family, Lord, how can I, how can I please you in this? Oh, you got to forgive this one. Or well, you got to do this. You got to, you know, help to reconcile these two. See, even there, I'm, I'm in mission. I'm in mission because I understand my life counts. Some people live and die. You know, he lived, line, he died. But in that line, nothing significant. What did you do? What are you doing? We're live now. We're, we're present now. Our present is very vital. It's very important. What are we doing now? And if we don't, we'll get deceived. And then our Adamic nature will creep in. Sin and compromise becomes easy to embrace. Right now, that's what they're doing on TV. I don't know if you realize what they're doing on TV. Little by little, they're introducing uh, things in, uh, in series and teaching series, uh, uh, even um, in the Disney. They're introducing lifestyles that if you read scripture, scripture's not in agreement with them. But they're doing little by little by little so you could acclimate to it. And someone once said, I don't know if it's true or not, but someone once said, if you put a frog in a kettle with cool water and you put you know, fire underneath, it starts getting hot, the frog, if just as long as it's slow, will not realize the difference in temperature and it boils to death. I actually don't know if that's true or not, but that's interesting because that's what's happening with us. Hmm? A frog. They'll die? You did that by mistake? The altar is now officially open. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. It, you know, but the point is that's what's happening with us. They're raising the temperature right now, so that things were unacceptable in a previous season. Now, if you talk about it, you are a bigot. If you say, well, you know, I don't think that's a good thing to release. I, we had a big debate, I think, earlier in the year 2000, uh, what is it, 16, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe even this year earlier, about who can use uh, public toilets. Yeah. Uh, places like Targets and others. It, be, it went to the, natural, na- uh, the national discussion, <clears throat> And some guys were saying, well, you know, I feel like I'm a woman now. So Target was saying, yeah, you could use a woman's bathroom. And yet all the mothers were saying, <clears throat> over my dead body, 
And it became such a big deal that Target lost, I don't know, like 30, 40% of their market value because people backed off. But that's what the enemy does. Little by little, sin creeps in. Um, the alternate to righteous lifestyle kicks in. And now many of us are afraid to say anything because if we do, we will be branded bigots uh, or phobic something. You know, That's another thing they do. If it didn't exist before, they want it to exist. What they do is they'll make a name for it. And just as long as they name it, then they could you call you phobic of that. And when the national discussion uh, and, of course, the decision of our Supreme Court, when they finally decided that same-sex marriage is now going to be legal in the land, what the nation is not understanding is if you break the foundation, the foundation, once you break the foundation, you can't build anything anymore because the foundation will crumble. So marriage has always been between a man and a woman, right? So now the law changed. But now it creates all sorts of problems because there's no longer any foundation. Before, there was something you were able to relate it to. Okay? Marriage, man and a woman. But now it could be uh, my, me and my tree. I could marry my tree right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see people right now that are in love with their tree and make love to their tree. Right now, right now. And it's okay. Oh, just it's an alternate expression. No, it's insanity. Well, you're saying that. They're saying it's, it's an alternate lifestyle. And right now, and I said this when it happened. I said, this is going to become a, a, an explosion, but it's a slow motion explosion. Because what's going to happen now is now we're going to revisit uh, multiple marriages. We're going to revisit uh, the issue. Some people have wanted it, but it's going to come back. People are going to want to marry their dogs and cats. I said that back then. And then I said this, and I said this. I said, and here's a warning. Parents are going to have to watch their children now. Because sooner or later, they're going to want our children. And just, just a couple of months ago, I found that the legislators right now trying to make it legal for a man here in the United States to marry their 12-year-old friend. Right now, right now, right now, they're, they're dealing with legislation. They just want to frame it, and so what they're doing is they renamed that. So once you rename it, then you can, I mean, just, just me speaking about it, I say, it can't be real. It's a, it's a bad dream. No, it's reality. It's a day we're living in. So that's why we need to know the Word of God more than ever before. We need to know how to be able to defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, there are bakers, bakers, a husband and a wife, that are taking their case all the way to the Supreme Court because a regular court took away their right to, to share their business uh, in the way they, they believe God to do so. Right? They had to pay, they, they made them guilty because they didn't want to bake a cake for a same-sex, you know, wedding. So, okay, so they went to court, and not only did the court uh, uh, judge against them, but they made them pay, uh, or I don't think they've paid it yet because they went, of course, to the next level, but they wanted them to pay $130,000. That is punitive. That is draconian. There's a reason for that. They, they want to shut... It down. They want to make a big example so that nobody else would talk against it. Right, right. And in Canada, uh, right now, if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you could end up in jail. In Canada. Huh? 
is, is persecution. It's happening. But again, it's society allowing, see, the warm water to get hot, and you know, you're not realizing the changes because they do it subtly, subtly. They'll visit it decade by decade by decade until they get it in. And, but the problem is, is that since there's no longer any what? Foundation, anything is okay. If I feel it, I should be able to do it. Right now, the biggest, uh, not the biggest, one of the big arguments out there uh, for guys and gals, uh, you know, oh, I'm offended because you're not addressing me by the sex I identify with. That's an example. Um, but, you know, bio- biologically speaking, you know, if you're a man, you're a man. No, no, I want you to call me a woman. So, but you're not. Right? And th- they argue the point that, uh, you know, of, of course we have global warming. There's, there's uh, uh, science behind it. Okay, fine. Okay, you want to argue with science. Good. Because if you can find a basic, a solid foundation to discuss or argue with something, then that's good. You, you've got empirical evidence, right? But what about that, the guy that wants to be a woman? So I identify as a woman. But biologically, it's screaming at you that you're a man. And there's science to prove it. Oh, we don't care about the science. We want what we feel. That is what I was concerned about once we got rid of the foundation. It's no longer anything about a, a solid scripture or solid evidence or uh, empirical evidence. It's all about how I feel. And if I feel that when you offend me, I want you to be hurt. I want to really take you down hard. So right now, the, the bakers, they are taking it to the Supreme Court because they already lost. In, what do you call them? Circuit courts, is it? Or yeah, Circuit courts. So now they're going to the Supreme Court of the land if they lose a Supreme Court, then there will be, a, a, then there will be a, a, a new rush of persecution against those that are conservative and especially those that are Christian. See? So I'm not saying that to, to, um, to uh, depress you. No, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That's not what I'm, the point I'm making is if you allow anything in your life, little by little, it'll start taking from you. Taking from you. It'll start shifting your mind into, de- into deception. This is why every day you have to be reminded in the word of God, reminded by the word of God. You have to live it out. You have to confess it. You have to put God first on purpose. We have to be thankful. We have to be grateful for what God did for us. Because God's saying, "Uh, excuse me, hello, hello. You humans have a tendency by virtue of the sin nature to allow yourselves to go to a place that's going to destroy you. God didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. See, you got John 3.16, but then you have John 3.17. God did not send Jesus to the world to destroy the world. So God's not the one saying, uh, excuse me, I want to destroy you. No, we're saying that. We want to destroy ourselves. Leave us alone. We want to enjoy, enjoy, and, and do whatever we please. Did not Israel of old do that? When Moses came down from the mountain? What, in a short amount of time, in 40 days. They were God's people. He went up. When they came back, they were, they were insane. I, I said this years ago, but I'm going to say it again. And with this, I'll close. There were the ki- these kids, and this was a true story. There was these kids that would go constantly to the neighbor's house, to the pool, even though he didn't give them permission. They would go in there and have fun and swim and then leave and leave it dirty. So the, the neighbor hated that, but, you know, what was he going to do? One day when they came back, there was a fence around the pool. 
So one of the kids, he said, this, this is not going to stop me. They, he jumps the fence, goes over, and he's looking at the guys, and he throws himself in the pool. There was no water in the pool. And he jumped in the deep part, head first. So he ended up paralyzed from the neck down. It was a, it was a you know, you could have died, frankly. So the moral of that particular story, because what happened was, is that since the owner knew these kids came from time to time, he didn't want them to get hurt. So they, what they did was they temporarily erected, uh, um, I guess it was a, an enclosure, metal enclosure, but it was easy to climb. But he, he did that to protect the kids from harm. He didn't, he didn't erect this gate to keep them from having fun. He erected that gate, that barrier, from allowing them, or rather so that they won't get hurt, to keep them from harm. So in the scriptures, when you read God's law, God's law is not built to keep you from having fun. God's, not, God's law is not keeping you from, from enjoying your life. On the contrary, he created you. He knows how he created you. He knows the things that are good for you, the things that are bad for you. See? And the thing about it is we know what's bad for us. We just don't care. How many people I see, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody, so please, I'm saying generally. I'm just picking this one out. We have so many. Uh, you know, I, 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 I work and I go downtown to midtown all the time. So every time I'm uh, going across the street or going from 6th Avenue to 5th Avenue, 5th Avenue to, to, I don't know, Madison or Park, you can see rows of people that have left the business where they work and they're smoking. I mean, rows, rows, all smoking. <laughs> and some of them are wheezing while they smoke. And I look at them, I say, it's acceptable. It's, it's not illegal. You can smoke all you want. You know, you can even dress up as a chimney if you want. <laughs> it's not illegal. But it's killing you slowly. And the thing is, people know it. But somewhere along the line, we let deception come in, and we think, well, since I feel good now, this moment, it's all right. No, it's not. My mother's 85 years old. I mean, she's a strong woman, but she has emphysema from smoking. See, it'll get you. It's coming at you. It's like a ticking time bomb inside your, your uh, organs and your, your, your extremities. You know, not extremities, but really, it's, it's the vital organs. Um, several friends of mine, dear friends, dear bishops, leaders, these men died suddenly in their 50s. But in their younger life, they didn't serve God, so what they were doing, they took drugs. Especially the hard stuff in the 70s, the heroin. And the heroin, that stuff, what it does, it gets in you and it gets in your bones. And it creates a ticking time bomb. So if you were, if you were in that life extensively, good chance is that in the 50s, that thing comes back to bite you. So great bishop in the Bronx, two, two of them actually. No, one in, one, uh, in the Bronx, in the West Bronx, and one I think in New Rochelle or that, that region, died suddenly. In the apex of their ministry, they suddenly passed away. See, so what happens is these deceptions, if we allow them, they'll get inculcated in our life. Little by little, they start shifting us away from God and they'll impact us. They'll impact our legacy. They'll impact our health. They'll impact our peace. They'll impact our ability to be all that God called us to be. So in this week, as we start getting ready for the Thanksgiving uh, day and the whole week, um, I, I want you to reconsider that. What Jesus did 
when these guys were convinced that they couldn't really do what he called them to do. Yeah, he, he took their seed, he took what they had, the little they had, and he multiplied it. So I want you to allow God to multiply you this week. I want you to revisit this issue. Is God really first in your life? I want you to revisit the issue. Are you allowing sin to creep in? What can sin be? Sin is missing the mark of who you really are. You're a prince. You're, you're, you're a, a, a priest, a royal priest. There's certain things you shouldn't allow in your life just because of who you are in Christ. It's not your nature anymore. You don't need that stuff anymore. You're bigger than that now. You're special. You're precious. You, you're needed in this world. Princes don't hang around every community. I didn't see Prince Andrew here ever. And, and you won't see him either. It has to be something staged. And when he shows up, an entourage shows up. Why? Because he's a prince. But so are you, a prince, a princess. So you shouldn't allow anybody just to, to manipulate you that way. You should only be moved by God's word. Moved by your purpose. Moved by who God called you to be.